what was really cool, he was telling me about this job, a really cool new job in the Army. More on this in this episode of Stationed with Stories. Station with Stories. That's it. All right, you are listening to Station Foot Stories. I am your host, Kalisha Hollis-Jesse. And before we get started, let me just let y'all know that these are my thoughts, my thoughts, my thoughts. And they do not represent or reflect the positions, opinions, or views of the U.S. Armed Forces in any way. All right, y'all. Let's move into it. Hi, peeps. I call y'all peeps because y'all are my people. If you have been with me for a while... You've been with me from the beginning. Y'all know you are always welcome. For those who are new, we always start off with what I have been reading. Now, before I get into that, let me just say, if you have not checked me out on social media at stationed underscore story, that's where you need to be. And if you have not already rated the podcast, if you have not been able to put those stars on there, all five, right? Definitely do that. Rate it wherever you're listening. Now, This past week, and I'll say this, one of the biggest news stories was uh, very sad, the submersible, the sub, the Titan that was going to view the ruins of the Titanic. And I thought it was very sad. And I actually tweeted about this and I don't tweet that often. I'm on Instagram a lot, so you can see a lot going on there. But I did tweet about it and I thought it was very ironic if you listened last week week, I reviewed a book that is about the Titanic. Now it's a novel, historical fiction, but I thought it was really ironic. I had just read a book about the Titanic. And then of course, this is unfolding. So if you haven't checked out that episode, definitely check it out. That was just last week. But let's get into what I was reading this week. Now I was actually working on, I am working on quite a few books right now. But the book that I finished last week was actually a book that was recommended to me by one of my good friends. And this was a first, y'all. I found out about this book before it was published. Like for people who were doing the pre-orders, that's when I found out about it. Now, my friend, shout out to Joy. She actually is in the industry, the publishing industry. And she told me about the book. I'm not sure how we got into the conversation, But I said I would put it on my list. And so as soon as it came out, more or less, I got it, listened to this copy, very dynamic listening to it. And the book is called Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebenya. And my words are profane, biting, and informed. Now, profane. This book has the topic, and let's start with that. The topic, most basic, is we are imagining a U.S. and America in the future. The prison population is out of control, as it is now, and they have thought of a way to monetize it even more by allowing and creating a system of games. So just imagine the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, but in the the prison system. And the game, what do they do? They fight to the death in gladiator style matches. And it's very gruesome. In the people, the people who are imprisoned, 
who participate in these matches, they are participating for a chance to become freed one day. If they win enough matches, they get to a high enough rank, the very top rank, then they will be freed. They can be freed and they don't have to finish the rest of their sentence. But while they, and they they are doing these games for the world to see and they become superstars, the ones who win enough matches, meaning the ones who kill enough people, they are stars that the viewership worships. I mean, they get fan mail, people scream their name, they chant their name, they love watching, they have their favorite quote unquote links, right? Because they are on the chain gang, right? They are on a, you know, this kind of reminiscent, it is reminiscent of this vision of people who are chained together. You know, if you've watched those movies or even, I think you can still see some of this today, people working in fields who are chained together. But in this world, right in the future, they are linked together by whatever name the chain gang is, right? So, but these people are megastars and in this ironic high irony, but very profane, and I say profane because these are people who are imprisoned. So you have profanity as, you know, it's kind of like cursing like a sailor, but it's also the conditions of their lives. You have a lot of profanity. And not just that, it's profane because of the situation that they are in, the situations that they find themselves in, very profane, very dark and ugly, the underbelly of American society. So very profane, very, very profane in language, very profane in the content of this book. A lot of gore, a lot of death, a lot of really gruesome details. And the second word is biting. So this book is a biting critique of our prison industrial complex in the U.S., And it is a big, very poorly kept secret that we house and imprison the highest population percentage wise of prisoners of any developed nation in the world, in the world. And I read this book, and like I said, it is a tough subject to broach upon, but it's something that I really care about personally, just how many people we imprison in this country, why we imprison this many people, and how long we imprison people. And it is a biting critique. This book is a biting critique of that system. And the author really does a great job at getting you a lot of different perspectives. So, the perspectives of the people who are imprisoned and you do follow the storyline of primarily two different people who are imprisoned who are also opting in. And this is a self-opting process. So the people who are fighting to the death, they have opted in to fight to the death, but they find this to be a more palatable predicament to be in than to be in the regular prison population. So that tells you a lot about how they feel in the face of possibly being killed, murdered very violently. They prefer that to what their options were in prison in the regular population. 
And there's a system of points. I mean, it's, it's a very well-detailed world that he set up for this book, really. And finally, informed. It is informed. There are a lot of pieces of this puzzle, not just the point of view of those who are actually imprisoned and who have opted into this death match system, right? This league that has seasons, that has people all around the world watching and loving and cheering and chanting for their favorite athlete because they're considered athletes, right? These people who are dying and killing for the ability to be freed. And it is informed not just because of all the perspectives, but it's also informed because you get real, right? So this is a novel. You get a story that is not true technically, but you get this perspective and pieces of history that are true. So for example, the author puts in a lot of different court cases that have happened that speak to the injustice of many people's lives in this system. So very informed historically, a lot of information, even what it does to the body, to the mind, to be in solitary confinement. Well, well done in terms of research. And like I said, my words were profane, biting, informed. This book came out this year, Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajay Binya. Check it out if you so choose. All right, y'all, moving on to the topic of the day, jobs, jobs in the military. Now, here's a question, and I've asked this before. Do you know what your spouse does? Do you know what other people do for the job? Now, for many military spouses, we know, at least I'll speak for myself, I basically know what my husband does, okay? I basically know what he does in his job. And we know that some people cannot know what their spouse does in the military because it is on some top secret, can't find out anything, lips closed, sealed case type of job. Now, my husband has things that he cannot tell me <laughs> clearly about his job and the information that he is privy to, but I generally know what he does. And I particularly know who he works with. Okay. So that is a big piece. You know, when you get those stories, you come home from work and you might know it too. When you come home from work, you work outside of the home and you work with different people and you have those people who are always around you and they make it to the dinner table conversation every once in a while. Now in my home, I will say this, my husband does not talk about work at home a lot. Like it does not take over our time together. Usually he is trying to refocus, but it does. It does come home. He does have to go to work during times that he does not have to go to work. And of course, I know some of his coworkers. And so sometimes if something has happened, he will tell me about it. But y'all, I was thinking, talking to some other spouses and they were telling me a little bit about this person. This is this is what they do, but I don't know your spouse. I don't know if they know your spouse. And I'm like, yeah, probably not because they are not in the same division. They're not in the same department. They're not in the same quote unquote work space. So they wouldn't be part of a conversation, right? You probably wouldn't have heard my husband's name in a conversation because they have 
a, a lot of different silos and not necessarily like not working together, but they just don't have much to do with one another. And it, it really got me to thinking, y'all, because listen, the military is way bigger than your spouse's job. It really is. There is so much going on. And that's something that I've learned and I and I learned pretty quickly that there are so many things that you can do in the military. Okay. Even more than that, y'all, it is way bigger and way more interesting. Okay. The jobs that people have. And you may not find out about it because your spouse is not in every field. They are just in one particular field and one particular job at the moment. So I had the opportunity to sit down with someone who I didn't realize was in the reserves, the army reserves. I actually was going back to my alma mater to do some workshops with students, leadership, mentorship type workshops. And I found out that my old colleague was in the reserves, is in the reserves, and that he was willing to just talk to me about what he did as a photographer. And he was a photographer for 10 years and he covered internationally a lot of conflict zones and fascinating, fascinating. So shout out to Hector. He also told me about some more things in arts, right? My husband does not do anything in the arts with the military at all. It's not his job. But here we are, someone who spent a career as now in the reserves with with photography. And you know, I mean, the photographers have to be up close. They see the things. I mean, this man was in Iraq taking photographs of, you know, the troops and these scenes. And that was fascinating to me. Not a story that would have ever made it to my dinner table, y'all, because my husband don't have nothing to do with that. And what was really cool, he was telling me about this job, a really cool new job in the Army, and it is the Cultural Heritage Task Force that is in its infancy right now. But he showed me a video, and you can see this video also online, just Google or look up being whatever, Baidu, whatever you, you use to look up different information, Cultural Heritage Task Force Army. And you will find that these people are in charge of protecting cultural artifacts in war zones. And I thought that was fascinating, really fascinating. And it comes out of this desire to protect the museums, protect the artifacts, protect the property, the cultural property of different peoples, people groups, right? And there's so many stories of history being lost because of war. And if you're paying attention to some years ago now, but I remember when a lot of the bombing and and conflict in Syria, which is still going on, I know that this is is still a a conflict-ridden zone, But I remember reading about a lot of the cultural artifacts that were destroyed by by bombings, by people who were looting. And it was additionally a piece of of erasure and disregard. And so the project of the Cultural Heritage Task Force is to have people go in these zones who are not fighting. They are not fighting. 
but they are military specialists who know how to properly and quickly get these artifacts out of these conflict zones. And I thought that was fascinating. And it's not something that is happening ongoing. You know, the person's not, you know, flying from here to there, but it's as needed, right? So if a conflict breaks out and we need people to go in who just want to preserve cultural artifacts, they can go in and do that. And I thought, wow, that is quite an interesting job to have and really cool to see this is something new, right? It's not the same type of jobs that we've had since World War II. It's something completely different. And there are a lot of other aspects of training that go into being someone who does that, someone who preserves the cultural artifacts. And uh, it it brings in the knowledge of historians, the knowledge of preservationists, and the training of these different stakeholder groups in order to preserve world histories. And I thought that was fascinating, y'all. So if you never thought of learning more about other aspects of the military outside of what you know, right? What comes home to you, whether your parents were in the military or, right, you're a middle spouse like me and you know a little bit about the world based on what you hear. Y'all have some conversations with some other people. Check out some other communities, right? And see what they are doing. Like what photographers get a chance to experience or, Y'all, something new, something new that's happening in a different branch of the military, like this Cultural Heritage Task Force, which is absolutely fascinating. So go check out the video, the video online. There may be more than one, but there is like an official video online of how they train and how they're training these people to be able to quickly go into like a museum that is in a conflict zone and has been partially bombed and they're trying to like salvage what they can. Y'all, it was really interesting. So check it out, you know, learn something new. All right, y'all, moving on to the last portion of the podcast, I have another flash fiction piece for you and it's called The Trick to Staying Alive. Hemlock couldn't escape. The dagger-yielding maniac closed in on him from yards away, his knife catching the glint of the waning sunlight as day turned to night. Behind him, a chainsaw massacre maniac closed from the same distance. The woods to his left were full of hungry bears. The river to his right teemed with crocodiles. Hemlock's head swiveled like a charmed snake's, exuding a calm he did not feel. The last ounce, no, last drop of faith Hemlock had in himself kept him on his feet. With easy flicks of the wrist, he rotated his nunchucks in his right hand. Wielding his weapon in the air, both attackers now rushed him. He'd take out Mr. Dagger first. Hemlock whipped his nunchucks in the air from right to left hand across his body before casting it towards the man's wrist to disarm him. Mr. Dagger moved fast, taking a step out of the way before lunging at Hemlock's right abdomen, momentarily unprotected. The chainsaw's engine sounded inches from Hemlock's ear, so he tumbled to the ground at an angle, 
rolling past and behind Mr. Dagger to avoid the saw that was only seconds from slicing him in two. The chainsaw hit the ground with a thud, and with Mr. Dagger temporarily off balance from his missed blow, Hemlock took that moment to jump up from his dusty spot on the ground. It wasn't until he stood that Hemlock noted how close he stood to the river's edge. A steep drop-off into the awaiting jaws of the scaly animals expecting a human meal. Hemlock shifted away from the edge and swung his nunchucks at the two men who'd joined forces to kill him. Mr. Chainsaw inched towards Hemlock at an angle, rotating blades destined for Hemlock's midsection just as Mr. Dagger looped around the forest side at the opposite angle to close the gap. They were squeezing him in towards the river's edge. Hemlock swung his nunchucks in the air, feet shuffling back mere inches from the water. Dinner's ready. Jalen's head swung in the direction of his mom's voice. Come in, mommy. Jalen turned back to the TV screen where Hemlock was dead and the gang was reloading to the start of the mission. Shoot. Ten-year-old Jalen said to himself, the trick to staying alive was to stay focused. And nunchucks, he added. I gotta get better at using my nunchucks. All right, y'all, that is it for this episode. I already dropped in at station underscore story as where you can find me online. You already know if you have not written a review Write a review, share with friends. Friends need to know about this podcast. And even enemies, y'all, you know, send it to your enemy and just say, listen, I wish you well. And to show this truth, I'm sending you a good podcast to listen to. Okay, so I will be back next week. This is Station with Stories. I am your host, Kalisha Alice Jesse. Bye, peeps. (laughs)